0: It's time for our message, and if you're at home, I encourage you either electronically or with your physical Bible to take it out and turn over to Genesis chapter 11, Genesis chapter 11, and uh, I encourage you to follow along. As I read these verses, Genesis chapter 11, verses 27 through 32, and I'm thankful that we got a few folks here in the sanctuary, the worship team, and Jeremy, and uh, Dale Willemack, and Brendan for the support, and we just uh, it's easier to preach when you got somebody in the room, so we're glad that you guys are willing to stay. But as we talk about this, the call of Abraham, I really, really agonized over what to preach this, because I think it's better to do in person, so that God can really work on our hearts and lives collectively, because I think this thing of calling is, is so important, But since we are online, we just encourage you to follow along, Genesis chapter 11, verses 27 through 32, and I hope that you printed out your outline, or you can go to the church app and you can follow us there, Uh, the outline as we go through it. Genesis chapter 11, it says, now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. And Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred, in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives, and the name of Abraham's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the mother of Milcah, and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren, and she had no child. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son, Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there, and the days of Haran were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. And may God add his blessing at the reading of his word this morning. So I just want to remind you, as we make a dramatic shift from the end of chapter 11, into the rest of the book of Genesis. We're going to leave behind the things that we've already talked about, but it builds the foundation for the character studies that we're about to see. We learned back in Genesis 1 how God created the world in 24-hour days. We saw the creation of man and woman, and then the fall of humanity. We saw the depth of depravity when God had Noah take animals after he built an ark and they moved in there, and then God destroyed everything on earth except those that were in the ark. We see the same pattern repeating of sin in the lives of people after the flood. They built cities, they built civilizations, they built the Tower of Babel, and they talked about making their name great. And again, we see the depth of depravity, and so we see that God brought judgment upon them. Notice the two judgments in the early part of Genesis. One was very severe, But the second one was to fulfill God's command and promise to scatter and multiply, to fill God's created earth with his prized creation human beings. And so at the Tower of Babel, he gave them languages, he dispersed them out, and they began to develop countries, governments, and cultures. And we saw genealogies in chapters 5 and 11. The average age is slowly decreasing after the flood. So in chapter 11, verse 27, and the rest of the book, There's this dramatic shift where Moses, who's the author, moves away from history to the study of different people's lives, the patriarchs, the early founders of Judaism, which eventually would uh, entail Christianity as well. So today we start a series for the rest of Genesis called the Spiritual Founder Series. We're going to talk about trusting Abraham all the way up until Thanksgiving. And then in January, we'll begin looking at compromising Lot. We're going to look at deceiving Jacob. That was what his name meant, deceiver. We're going to look at overcoming Joseph. And as we begin these character studies, it's important to pause and for us to reflect why it's important to study character people in the life, the life of characters and the way the character developed in their lives. You see, we look at narratives in the Bible, and that's what we've been doing in Genesis. We look at verse-by-verse exposition And we do a lot of that in the New Testament, and that's great. We look at how poetry goes in Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. But then there's a good way to look at things from a perspective of how people live their lives. We sometimes look and study the Bible from a topical approach. So I think it's going to be good for us to kind of shift our focus as we begin these character studies and learn many great lessons from our own personal lives that we can gain and glean and build into our lives as we see and study people around us. Well, Wolf's Law says those who don't study the past will repeat its errors. Those who do study it will find other ways to err. And all we need to do is turn to the book of Judges and we see the repetition, that even though they went through sin and they went through destruction and they got a deliverer, they continued to go back through that cycle. And so we should learn from that and break the cycle. Another person said the only thing we learn from history is that we learn nothing from history. I personally have learned a lot from history and it's kept me from many heartaches and mistakes. It's helped me learn what I need to do to be successful in this Christian life, in my spiritual journey. It comes by studying what others have done and how God has blessed them or learning from their mistakes or how they got through trials and tribulations. So on your outline, I hope you have it there, says, what can we learn as believers by studying characters in the Bible? What can we learn as believers by studying characters in the Bible? Well, number one, we can relate to the character in the Bible because we see a human story. I love the fact that God puts all of a person's life in perspective. He doesn't leave out the bad. We don't know everything about everyone's life in the Bible, but he gives us enough to be able to understand the personality understand the character development, understand how God worked and treated them as they went through their spiritual journey. Galatians 6-7 says, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. In other words, we can watch and see the cause and effect of obedience leading to blessing or sin leading to punishment or discipline from God. I thank God in the stories of the people in the Bible, he shows us all those human traits. Think about it. What would the Christian life be about if we didn't have Job chapter 1 and chapter 2, where Satan is walking up and talking to God about bringing about suffering upon Job? I'm sure Job wished he had read uh, or had the ability to hear or read about Uh, what Satan was doing up in heaven and the conversation God and Satan was having, it would help him understand better why he was going through suffering. But it helps us from our perspective to be able to look back and learn from the life of Job. Think about it, Moses was a murderer and yet he became the deliverer. He became the leader of the nation of Israel. Think of David, he was called a man after God's own heart and God continued to call him that even after He committed adultery. He had Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, killed in battle. There was a baby. He tried to cover up all these things. And yet, after he confessed his sin and turned back to God, God said he was still a man after his own heart. The Psalms, the emotions of David's heart and others recorded that we can relate to. I think about Matthew. And Matthew, he was a tax collector. He was a turncoat. Considered that by the Jewish people because he worked for the Roman government, extracting taxes from his own people. And yet he came to faith in Christ and became an apostle. We think of Zacchaeus, the little short man that climbed up the tree, and as a tax collector as well. And on and on we could go. Think of Judas, for example, and how he walked with Christ for approximately three years and yet never trusted him as Savior. Well, God does not hide the bad and, he tell, and just tell us what's the good. We can relate to these people because we're just like them, and you and I, we face very similar issues. The second reason why we need to study people and their lives is that we can learn what to do and what not to do on our spiritual journey. We can learn what to do and what not to do on our spiritual journey. 1 Corinthians 10 is so clear about this. It says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. So think about that. They all experienced the same things together, but nevertheless, With most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. There were 12 spies who went out. Only two trusted in the promises of God, Joshua and Caleb. And because of the unbelief, because of the sin and disobedience of the other 10 witnesses who went, The nation of Israel walked in the wilderness for 40 years. And so there's lessons that we can learn from their life. Number three, we can learn that God can use anyone despite who they are and what they have done. God can use anyone despite who they are and what they have done. Over and over, we see this with Jesus. Jesus said, you're Simon, you shall be called Peter. And we know that Peter was one who really wanted to follow Christ and said that in Christ were the words of eternal life. And yet he denied Jesus three times. And in that beautiful passage in John chapter 21 where Jesus meets with Peter after his resurrection and encourages him to become the leader and restored him to fellowship, Peter becomes a strong leader for the early church in Jerusalem. Jesus looked at Matthew, a tax collector, as we said, and saw someone who could be an apostle, a follower of Christ. Jesus and God are always looking at someone from their potential and their commitment to Christ. Another reason we can learn from other people in the Bible, their characters, we can learn to guard our hearts in order to avoid the trappings of sin and gain valuable insights in how we should live. Proverbs 4.23 is a Passage I go to often. It says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. You and I, we have to guard our heart, the intake of what we take in with our eyes and our ears and our, what we read and information. And it affects how we look at life and look at other people. And so we have to keep our heart, guard it. And it causes me to think about the short term and the long term benefits of decisions that I make. It causes me to think about the consequences of my actions and thinking about what other people in the Bible have experienced and other Christians that uh, over the years that I've been involved with to see how God worked in their life. First John 5.21 gives us this challenge, little children, keep yourselves from idols. In my Devotional reading as I'm reading through the Bible, I'm in the Old Testament part of Jeremiah and Jeremiah 10, and even today it talks about how worthless idols are, how they can't walk into a room that somebody has to carry them, how they're unable to communicate verbally or in any other way. They're just a statue, they're just something to be there to be worshiped. But our God, Yahweh, is one that we can interact with, that He does speak to us through His Word and through the Holy Spirit, and even sometimes audibly if we listen and be in a situation where we're quiet and still before him. Another thing we can learn from character study is how the faith character development and sins are passed down from generation to generation. We can learn a lot by watching these people, by seeing how what they did in their families affected people from generation to generation, and we'll see that when we get to Isaac and Rebecca, on to Jacob. Onto to Joseph, just as an example in the Bible. We'll see clearly in the life of Lot as he, as he slowly inched closer and closer to the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, until Sodom and Gomorrah had captured his and his family's heart. The world got within him. And number six, we can learn how to break the generational cycles and the patterns of sin. I think of that beautiful story in the New Testament where Mary comes in and breaks the very expensive jar and pours that expensive ointment upon Jesus to anoint him and prepare him for his death. She had been forgiven much because she was the town prostitute. And then we'll see later on in Genesis, Joseph, after generations of deception in his family, he breaks the cycle. He led an honest, God-honoring life despite injustice. One of the most amazing stories that you could read in the Bible is is uh, Saul who becomes Paul. How the one who was out to persecute and kill Christians becomes a believer and a follower of Christ. It just reminds me of a illustration and I know many of you got to see uh, the show Mr. Rogers. It was on from 1968 until 2000. That was 895 episodes and of course, Fred Rogers was a ordained Presbyterian minister And in 1997, Mr. Rogers won the Emmy Lifetime Achievement Award. And this is what he said. This is part of his speech. He said, so many people have helped me come to this night. Some of you are here. Some are far away. Some are even in heaven. All of us have special ones who have loved us into being. Would you just take along with me 10 seconds to think of the people who've helped you become who you are? those who cared about you and wanted what was best for you in life. Ten seconds of silence. He said, I'll watch the time. And after ten seconds, he said, whomever you've been thinking about, how pleased they must be to know the difference you feel that they've made in your life. And as the camera panned the audience, there were actors and actresses in tears, thinking about those that had helped them along the way, that had built character into their life, or help them with their talent, or whatever it was, to get them to this prestigious place that they were in. All of us have special ones who've loved us into becoming children of God. Some are here, some are far away, and some are in heaven, around the throne of God, rejoicing and singing his praises. But we all all had these spiritual parents, but will we be spiritual parents to someone else? Will you be a spiritual parent that raises children to follow Jesus and invite other people to follow him? Well, as we spend considerable time looking at these great saints of the past, may we be stretched in our own lives. May we grow. May we learn from these valuable words from God to live out as application in our lives because as we'll see at the very end in our key thought, you and I, we are a life lesson, an open book for other people to see and to learn and to influence in our lives. Well, we turn to, to chapter 12, but we'll just close out with chapter 11 here as we read in our scripture reading. And as we close out chapter 11, it makes this dramatic swing to Abram's life and the patriarchs, which are considered Isaac and Jacob. And In the New Testament, you'll hear the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These are the patriarchs, the forefathers of Judaism and Christianity. Abram was born about 2,165 before the common era. And Abram's name means father of elevation or exalted father. In chapter 17, verse 5, God adds a syllable to his name and calls him Abraham, which means the father of a great nation. Some have thought that Abraham, Nahor, and Haram were triplets, but there's no evidence of that. Terah, the father of these three, was a pagan man he worshiped many different gods according to Joshua chapter 24. And his son, Haran, died before he did. This is the first place in the Bible where you see a child dying before his father or his parents. Ur had a lot of gods available to be worshipped. And the story tells us there at the end of chapter 11 that Abram marries his half-sister, Sarai, who is barren. The marriage was permissible during the patriarchal period, but when we get to Uh, the Mosaic Law, we see that God no longer permitted these types of marriages. So God used Terah to move toward Canaan. He called Abraham, he called them to move to Canaan, but yet they stopped in Haran. And Abraham and his family remained there until his dad Terah passed away. So this takes us to Genesis chapter 12. As we look at verses one through eight today, where we see the calling of Abram. The calling of Abram. We see, first of all, under that point, the call came with a promise. We're going to look at three things. The call came with a promise. It came with obedience. It came with clarity. The first one, the call came with a promise. Abraham most likely was called by God on two different occasions. As I mentioned, once when he traveled and left Ur of the Chaldees and stopped in Haran, it's most likely they stayed there because he waited until his father passed away to carry out to fulfill the promise to go to Canaan. In verse 27, we see that Terah had these three sons. And so they all kind of went their separate ways and that town that they went to, Haran was named after the third son. Well, God comes to Abraham and calls him on the second occasion. He calls him to salvation and it's based solely on God's divine grace not on who Abraham was or anything that he did. Think about it. He was surrounded by polytheistic gods. He had no clue who Yahweh was. And out of the blue, God comes and speaks to Abram, and Abram receives the call for salvation. This is critical to understand. Again, he was in this pagan atmosphere, but out of nowhere, God comes and he calls him, to be saved by grace. In Romans 4, it says, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness. It was God's divine grace and his grace alone that saved him. And we need to be reminded of that. This week on Wednesday, October 7th, I celebrate my 48th spiritual birthday And I think back to that day on October 7th, 1972, when at the age of 14, I had seen uh, my dad recently come to faith in Christ at age 38. And when he came to faith in Christ, this is the first Bible that was given to him by a friend who'd witnessed to him at work named Bill Hartman. My dad gave me this Bible before he died. And in there it's signed to him as to my friend, Norm Heading, remember... 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show yourself approved to God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And I remember my dad, he was very faithful and we were very faithful to go to church every week, but it took 38 years for him to realize that it wasn't by works, but it was by grace that you're saved. And this past July when I was back home and getting ready to sell our family home that my parents had bought and lived in for 44 years, we went to my dad's graveside, and there I'd forgotten on his grave marker, he had Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you're saved through faith. It's by grace, it's by grace that we're saved. And for our family, it was like God came out of nowhere. No one had ever shared the gospel with our family. And when someone did, my dad received Christ, and our family came to faith in Christ. Well, God came to Abraham in a very similar way. Look at verse 1 of chapter 12, where it says, after his call to salvation, it says that God says to him, go, go, leave your country, leave your family, leave your father's house. God was asking Abram to abandon it all for the sake of the call, the call of God on his life. Think about what Abram was giving up, his familiar surroundings. The possessions he couldn't take with him. Family members. He would miss family celebrations for the rest of his life. He would give up his land. He gave up his inheritance. The material goods that he worked so hard for that he couldn't pack up and take with him. And he knew that following God would bring much greater blessing for him and for others. That's why I've always loved this passage in Hebrews 11. Because you and I, we have never arrived to where God wants us to be. We're still on a journey. And, the, and so was Abram. He never got to see the promised land and the promise that God gave him fulfilled in his life. Hebrews 11:13 says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus, make it clear that they're seeking a homeland. And if they'd been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. And while we open our lives up to the call of God in our life and for wherever he wants to take us, remember, our ultimate home it is our heavenly home, and our Father is God that we will be with for all eternity. The journey is more important than the destination in arriving. And I hope you internalize and apply this passage to your life. We, we are seeking a heavenly home over the best wealth and comforts that this world has to offer. And so we have to keep our eyes on God and our hope in him. That's what gives us hope in this ever-darkening world. God has called you and I to be light, to be his children. As it says in Second Corinthians 4, to be his jars of clay. So we strive for a higher purpose in our calling. God gave Abram three promises here in Genesis 12. First of all, land, as we see in the second half of verse 1. Later in Numbers 34, Moses would be given the boundaries of what that land should look like and how much of it they should possess. And that's why Israel today in our modern times is seeking to regain what was promised to them in the Old Testament. In Genesis 12:1, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. He was going to receive land. Second of all, the promise was given that he would be the father of a great nation, that God would bless Abram and his descendants with a wonderful place to live but God will bless other nations through Israel and through Israel will come the gospel of Jesus Christ look at the sec- first part of Genesis chapter 12 verse 2 and I will make of you a great nation Abram must have worshiped and wondered at this promise since he was 75 years of age it tells us that in Genesis chapter 11 and Sarah's wife was barren she couldn't have children or at least to this point, wasn't able to have children. Talk about the faith and the trust that they had in God. So land, they would be a great nation. And thirdly, God promised in, in, chap, in chapter 12, verse 2 and verse 3, blessings. And we see in the second part of verse 2 and all of 3, a form of the word blessings is used here five times. It says in Genesis 12 two, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. He says to Abram, you're going to have a huge family. And again, as I said before, God would change his name to Abraham, which means the father of a great nation. God will push his blessings as far as his justice will allow. It's interesting that God says here that I will make your name great, Abraham. But contrast that with what the people said as they were building the Tower of Babel in the early part of chapter 11. We're going to make our name great. Man was at the center. But now God is saying, if you will humble yourself, if you will support me by grace and your salvation, I will make your name great. I will bless those who bless Israel. I will curse those who curse Israel. And all you have to do is to be a student of history to see how nations treated Israel and the result and the Jewish people before they were a nation and the results of what happened to them in history. Jesus Christ became the biggest blessing of all to come out of Israel. The gospel was promised even in the Old Testament to come out of Israel to everyone else throughout the world. Well, God says in essence, you will be a blessing, Abraham, to others, but you have to be a blessing by obeying me and my commands. Obedience brings blessing. May we be reminded of that in our own personal lives. May we learn that early on in Abram's life. Obedience brings blessing. Joshua 1.8, a verse I learned very early in my Christian life. The book of this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to what is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. So we see the call came with a promise. Second of all, the call came with obedience. And I've always been fascinated at verse 4. God gives the commands, the promise. And what do we see in verse 4? So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with them. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. There was no hesitation. It was an immediate decision. Abraham, whether he heard that one night and went to bed and got up and packed his stuff, it says he immediately left to go where God wanted him to go. How quickly do we obey what God tells us to do? How important that is. How receptive and obedient are we when God comes to speak to each one of us? Can you think of the callings in your life back to salvation how quickly did you receive the gospel? What about your call to baptism? Baptism's a call to identify publicly with Christ and to say to the world at large that you're gonna do your best to live for Christ as long as you live. What about dedication to God of your life? Do you give him full reign and control? Is he Lord over everything in your life? What about the call to your vocation? Or in my case, the call to preach? Do you feel like that God has called you to a very specific thing and you wouldn't feel good about yourself unless you did that thing, that that is your purpose? That's what the talents and the gifts that God has given you enabled you to do. Do you view it as a calling? God may have called you, uh, you're, maybe you're not married yet. Someday he will call you maybe to marry someone. Or maybe now you're, call, who you're called to be married to and committed to for the rest of your life. A call to be a husband, a call to be a wife, a call to be a parent. How important has obedience been in these situations in your life? And then the last thing we see here is the call came with clarity. The last verses we'll look at here in Genesis 12 today. It says, And Abram took Sarai, in verse 5, and Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered in the people that they had acquired in Aaron, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And when they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem to the Oak of Morah. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who appeared to him. And from there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name. Of the Lord. Notice quickly a few things in these verses. Abram, Sarai, his wife, and Lot went together. It says here also that the people that they had acquired in Haran. What does that mean? It's not that they gathered up the slaves that they had bought. No, it's the getting of souls. It's the people that Abram had led to faith in God, to salvation. It says they passed the Oak of Mora, which was most likely a shrine to a pagan god, which was probably a landmark for most people in those days. And then it says he built an altar. And Martin Luther, when he was translating the Bible into German, he translated this idea that Abram preached there, and he wasn't far from the truth. It literally means that when he built an altar, that Abram was a witness in the country to who Yahweh was. Because again, they were surrounded with many gods. One thing for sure, as we see early in the life of Abram, is that his faith took in in God, and he just took God at his word and strictly obeyed what he said. And so how are we doing with our faith? How immediate is our obedience? One of the things I learned right after I became a believer in youth group was what obedience meant. And obedience, described to me by the youth pastor at that time, is doing immediately what we're told to do with the right heart attitude. Doing immediately what we're told to do with the right heart attitude. And that just graded against me because I was at that time very rebellious toward my parents in many ways. And it would take me a number of years thinking back on that definition to overcome Rebellion in my life. And it served me well and it served others well to understand that obedience is doing immediately what we're asked to do with the right heart attitude. How obedient are you to the callings of your life? The callings from God. You've got a few blanks there if you have your outline out, and we'll go through those very quickly, and I will talk more in depth about them next week when we're get, when we're, Lord willing, hopefully together in person. But the first call and the most important call is to salvation. And I've already talked about that. As we saw Abram come to faith with many polytheistic gods around him, Yahweh came and called him out. And Paul and Barnabas said in Acts 16, 31, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved and you and your household. If you've never received Christ as your savior, if you've never come to the place where you've admitted that you're a sinner, that you've broken God's laws, that you're imperfect, that you need a savior, and to realize that Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood to pay for your sin and my sin, and to turn away from our sin with repentance and trust in the God and Jesus who rose from the dead to give you eternal life. That's the grace that we're saved with. That's the most important call in your life. Second call is to dedication. Romans 12:1 says, I appeal to you, in the King James, he says, I beg you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service. That means that we crawl up on the altar every day and say, God, you have control of every aspect of my life. You are Lord of my social life, my checkbook, my decisions I make today. You fill in the blank, and you're dedicating your life. And I remember at age 16 for the first time, dedicating my life at a youth camp to the Lord and letting him be Lord of my life. It says, the third one would be the call to be spirit-filled, to be spirit-filled. In Ephesians 5.18, it says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. Much like someone who's drunk is controlled by the alcohol, we are to let the spirit have full reign in our lives each and every day, and it's something we have to ask God to do. We have all of the Holy Spirit. It was given to us at salvation. We have all that God wants to give us, but does he have all of us? That's the question. So we have to let the Spirit lead in our lives. The fourth call would be to a member of a church, and it's kind of interesting that we're meeting online instead of in person. But these verses tell us in Hebrews 10, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is in the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We're thankful for technology. We're thankful we're able to broadcast from our wonderful sanctuary here in Bettendorf But God's people are called to, for the most part, be together in person in corporate worship. And it says we need to do that. He says, I find it necessary in Jude chapter 1 verse 3 to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. We gather together to worship, to contend for the faith, to grow in God's word. Then there's the call to evangelize and disciple, the next to last call the call to evangelize and disciple. In 1 Thessalonians 2, 4, it says this, but just as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Are you thankful that someone came and shared the truth of the gospel? It's painful to be confronted with the fact that we're sinners. It's like going to the doctor and getting a diagnosis, but then there's the prescription, there's the way to get healed, and that's through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we should be sharing the good news because we want to please God who's going to try our hearts. And then after salvation, we need to be involved in discipleship. In 2 Timothy 2, it says, And what you have heard, Paul said, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust the faithful men who will be able to teach others also. It's passing the baton of Christ and his teachings on to the next generation, to the next person who has received Christ. And our ultimate call will be the call to our heavenly home, to our heavenly home, heaven. One day, either through the rapture or through death, we're going to be with Jesus Christ, with God the Father, with the Holy Spirit, with the saints who have gone on before us. That's the promise of God's word. If we know him and have salvation, the call of salvation in our lives. In Psalm 116, 15, it says, precious in the eyes of the Lord are the death of his saints. A week ago last Tuesday, Mel Dirksen, our founding pastor, breathed his last breath. And in that moment, in the snap of a finger, he was in the presence of the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And that's our hope. And so we walk down here on this earth, as Philippians 3.20 says, as citizens of heaven. As Colossians 3 says, that we are as if we're already there. And we live with this perspective in mind, the hope of heaven. So here's our key thought as we close up today. It says, we become a life lesson to others by the decisions we make in relation to God's call in our lives. We become a life lesson to others. And that's why it's important that we think about the decisions we make because it not only affects us, but it affects the relationships around us. It affects the relationships for generations to come and some of the decisions that we make. So I hope that you understand and have God's purpose and calling in your life. I close with this illustration. There was a guy walking around the streets of Denver, Colorado just a number of years ago and his name was Amnesia Al. He walked around, he was homeless, he didn't know how he got to Denver, he didn't know who he was, he didn't know where he came from, and something traumatic had happened to his brain and somehow he became Amnesia Al. Well, the police caught up with him and he explained his dilemma finally after being there for for many, many weeks. And so the Denver police, along with one of their detectives, went on national TV And let Amnesia Al say I feel totally lost. If someone can just tell me who I am and who I belong to, I would appreciate it. Thankfully, someone did. His fiance, several states away who didn't know what happened to him, came and began to build up his story from his past and remind him of who he was and who he was going to be. How about you? As a non-believer, are you not sure of your purpose and what God has for you in this life, it's your time to turn to Christ and to have that call of salvation come upon your life, just like God did for myself, just like he did for my dad and our family. God wants you to come to faith in him, and then he will fill in all the questions of your life, and he will give you purpose and direction. And maybe you're here today as a Christian and. Maybe you've lost your sense and your purpose of direction. Maybe God has called you in some of these callings that we've talked about, but you've kind of strayed away from them or forgotten about them. God is calling you back today to think about, are we dedicated to Christ? Are we spirit-filled? Do we have the hope of heaven? Do we see a purpose in, in, in our relationship with our husband, our wife, our kids, our job? Do we see that God is using us and he's got a specific plan and purpose for each of our lives. Our question is to ponder this week, are you walking worthy of the calling God has given to you? Are you becoming a life other people can emulate? And are you imparting eternal truths to those who are impressionable in your life? There are many people in our community around here that are walking around in anxiety and confusion and uncertainty. And may we be the one who will go and share the good news of Christ with them when we interact with them at our local grocery store, at the health clubs we go to, the library, wherever we go. May we share with them the calling in our life so they can find out their purpose and why God has placed them here on this earth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the call of Abram right out of the chute in Genesis chapter 12. We thank you, Lord, for that story. We thank you for Abram's obedience, how he immediately got up and accepted the promises by faith that were given to him very clearly so that he knew exactly what to do and how to respond. Lord, help us today. Help us today if we do not know Christ as Savior to to ask him to come into our life and to transform us. And if we do know Christ, that we might hearken back to the callings that we talked about today and make sure that they are incorporated into our lives, that we might renew ourselves with rededication, that we might again begin to ask the Spirit to fill us on a daily basis, that we might go out and understand that we're not just working for an employer, but we work for you and that you've got a purpose in giving us the job that we have. We pray and ask these things now in Jesus' name, amen.